Morning, everyone. Nice to see you all this morning. Hope you're having a good morning, and welcome, and hello to everybody watching on live stream, wherever you may be. Well, we are starting a brand new Christmas series today. We're looking at an Advent series building up to Christmas Day. And we're looking at opening up, like an Advent calendar, different windows on the events that took place building up to the day that Jesus was born, that we may have a window into what God was doing, what happened, and what we can glean for it today in our present day lives. So let's have a look at the first Advent window. Let's open it up, and we're going to start at the very beginning where it talks about Gabriel visiting Mary. Let's have a look at this in the scriptures. It's come on the screen. Luke 1, 26, 28. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary, greatly troubled at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm still a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in a old age. And she was said to be unable to conceive and is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, what an amazing story. So who was Mary? Well, let's begin by a little bit of a background to this person, Mary, this young girl and woman of destiny. Mary, actually, in the original language, that's a modern translation, her name would have been Miriam, taken after the sister of Moses. And like Mary, who watched over a savior, the savior is the Israelite people, the savior of the world, Miriam watched over a savior. She was watching over the little baby Moses when her mother put Moses into the basket to protect them from Pharaoh's edict to kill all baby Jews. And Mary and Miriam was watching to see what was going to happen to this little baby who was floating down the river Nile. So she was a watcher or a carer or a protector over the saviour of Israel back in the days of Exodus. And Mary, in, in many sense, 
Her parents probably didn't realize the significance of the name for Mary, but it was a prophetic name pointing to the role that she would play as watching over another savior, but it's not the savior of Israel, but the savior of the world. Now, she was probably born in Nazareth during the reign of Herod the Great. That would have lasted around about 37 to 4 BC. And she would have spoken Aramaic. Now, Aramaic is a form of the Syrian language, and it was the local dialect of uh, Israel and the Jews at that time, remembering there would have been Latin and there would have been Greek, and Aramaic would have been her language. It's also the language that Jesus spoke. He spoke in Aramaic, and like Jesus, he would have spoken a Galilean accent, which is more like a northern accent. Um, Mary would have been part of the peasantry. So she was in this little town. Now, Nazareth was a tiny little town. That's why Nathaniel, when he was first introduced or heard about Jesus, said, Jesus of Nazareth, he's the Son of God, he's the Messiah. And Nathaniel says, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And it's because it was a tiny little village right up in the sticks. Some biblical historians might think it might have been between three and 600 people only. Um, it probably wasn't more than 2,000. It was a tiny little village that really nobody took any interest in. And the people there would have been involved in agricultural or local trade, like builders and carpenters and that type of thing. It wasn't a great city or a great town. It was a forgotten little place. Now, many biblical <coughs> historians think the term Nazareth was called Nazareth because it was the place of the Nazarenes. And in the Hebrew, the Nazarene or Nazareth, the, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's taken from the root word for branch and Jesse's branch. And there's a prophecy, maybe between seven and 800 years ago, uh, before Jesus was born, that Jesse, remember Jesse was King David, that out of Jesse's house, which speaks of the royal lineage, out of his stump, a branch would grow. In other words, we're talking about a restoration of the kingdom of David or the rule of the line of David. Out of that branch or that stump, a branch would grow. And from there, the Messiah would come, the Savior. And he would be a descendant of King David and he would rule. And Jesse's rulership or household would again rule. And, and it talks about this in terms of a branch or a clan or a family. And the word for branch is netzer in the Hebrew, and it's translated uh, Nazareth or Nazarene in modern-day language. And so many historians would think, actually, that this was a clan of David's ancestry that came out of exile from Babylon. Remember all the Jews? We looked at it last year. All the Jews went into, into exile because of the sin of Israel. And then 70 years later, they returned and Judah returned. Now, Judah is of the tribe of David. That's Jesse's tribe. And Judah, many historians believe they didn't, a tribe didn't go back to Jerusalem because they were royalty and there was, would have been a threat to them and they would have been dangerous. So they went to this tiny little place out of the way a far-off village in the sticks in the countryside and a clan or a tribe or a branch of Judah or David or Jesse settled there. So probably it could be that this whole family were Nazarenes or from the branch of Jesse and that's how it got its name. 
And that's why, probably according to local knowledge, when Matthew speaks about Jesus, he says, he shall be a Nazarene. So there's a good chance that this, this girl was also from the tribe of Judah and the lineage of David because they were like one big, not extended family, you know, aunts and aunts, way, way back in generations. But of course, in the writings, when it talks about Joseph being of the tribe of, 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 of David and Jesus coming from Joseph, in the culture of the day, they generally only cited the male line. But it doesn't mean that Mary wasn't from that line as well. She would have been strong because once a year she would have at least had to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem with all her family for, one, for one, a couple of the feasts and the Feast of Tabernacles um, outside. And when she was pregnant, of course, she would have roamed the hills and gone all the way to Jerusalem, uh, sorry, um, to her hometown, the city of David, to, uh, for the census. She was probably illiterate because women in those days weren't readers or writers or taught, and maybe a few in the big cities, but certainly not in Nazareth, this little country village. So she wouldn't have read or write. And she would have been betrothed, and she was betrothed to be married at a very young age, a very young age as a young teenage girl. And the reason they did that in that culture is to maximize the childbearing age. So in this context, this young teenage girl, this illiterate girl, this country girl, this girl out in the sticks, this girl that had no social, worldly standing at all, the angel Gabriel comes to visit her. And he visits this virgin. Now why, why a virgin? Well, 600 years ago, before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that out of David's line, a royal ruler would come, a savior would come, and he would be born of a virgin. And, and, and the expectation that God's representative on earth would come to deliver Israel. And it says in the scriptures, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel. Now you see that word Emmanuel on your Christmas cards, don't you? What does it mean? It means God with us. So what it's saying that God is going to come to us and he will be a ruler and he will be a deliverer and he will be a savior. But he's going to be born to a human being, a virgin, but he's also God. So it's God coming to us in the form of a human being. And in order to be our representative, he would have to be godlike and God, and human, in other words, holy, without sin, perfect, so that he could be our perfect representative, dying on the cross to forgive us for our wrongdoings, that he could take our place, even though he didn't deserve to die, he died for our sins so that we could be forgiven, and only somebody who's holy and perfect could do that. So how could that happen? Well, the Bible teaches that sin came into the world through Adam, in the garden, it says Eve was deceived. She didn't really know what she was doing when she ate the fruit and rebelled against God. But Adam knew what he was doing and deliberately sinned. It says, so Eve was deceived, but Adam took the fruit knowingly and became a sinner. So it says that sin came into the world through Adam. And from that time, the whole human race has 
inherited the sinful nature of Adam, and that's why we do wrong and sin. We don't teach our children to be naughty. We, we just do it naturally, and it's because it's in us. It, the Bible calls it original sin or the fall. We are broken. We are falling. We, we don't do what we want to do, and we do what we shouldn't do, and we can't help it. And we can say, oh, why did I do that, and why did I say that, and I don't want to be selfish. I want to be loving, but we find all these struggles within us, and it's because... The problem with the human heart is the problem with the the problem with the human heart is the problem with the heart, and it's it's fallen and sinful because it's inherited the genetic sinfulness of Adam, so to speak. And so the Bible says this: When Adam sinned, this is in Romans chapter five, verse twelve. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sins. That's it, everyone. But then it also says that God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ or through faith in Christ. And so God had to bypass the male line, Adam, and he was born and conceived in a virgin, Mary, so that when Jesus was born, he would be fully human and fully God. That God as a human being and a human being as God could be our representative on the cross, taking the sins of the world into his body, my sin and your sin, so that through faith in Christ, after he's resurrected, we could become forgiven and saved, rescued, set free, given a place in heaven, not deserving it, having a relationship with God, Emmanuel, God with us, God our friend, God our saviour, God our rescuer, and we don't deserve it, but it's all because of what Jesus has done. So that's why, that's why there was a prophecy about a virgin, and that's why God came to Mary. Here's the question I want to ask and explore this morning in a few moments. Why did God come to Mary, though? Out of all the virgins and people in Israel, why Mary of Nazareth? It says, the Abel says, God has sent me, Mary, and you are highly favored. You have found favor. What was it in Mary that God liked? What was it in Mary that caused God to highly favor this young woman above all the others. What was it about Mary? Well, we know that it wasn't because she was perfect. We know that it wasn't because she was sinless because everybody sins just like the scripture I just said. We know that it wasn't because she had great standing or a a particular skill set. She was just a girl. So what was it? Well, we read through this passage of Scripture we've just read read a couple of characteristics of Mary that were true of her, but the great thing is we can cultivate them ourselves. The first thing is that Mary had an inquiring attitude. When the angel turned up, she was absolutely petrified. She says, we're really troubled. I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised about that. I mean, Gabriel was an awesome angel. He was one of the top dogs next to the throne of God. I mean, this angel would have been pulsating with power and splendor and glory. And he turns up to this little girl, this girl, 
in Nazareth and in all of his glory, and she must have been freaked. I mean, the Bible puts it politely. She was troubled. I think she was freaked. But what, you know when we're frightened out of our skin and witless, which I think probably happened to her, what was our, our, our initial thought is our brains go fuzzy, we clam up and we want to hide and run. That's basically human instinct. She wasn't like that. She said, she, it says as the scriptures, she wondered what type of greeting this might be. Her heart wasn't to hide from the challenge of this glorious presence and being, or even the message, which could have been, you know, not all messages were great, you know, could have been a challenging one. But she went, I wonder what type of greeting this is. She had an inquiring mind. She had an opening mind, an open mind. She had a questioning mind. Do you know what? God loves it when we have an inquiring mind about him and the things of God. When we have a searching heart, when we just don't take things for granted or hide away even when it's challenging, but we're pushing into God and his word and his truth and we're asking, what's all this about then? How can I understand more? How can I grow? The scriptures say in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. God wants you and I to have a searching, seeking heart after God and after the things of God that we may grow in him and know him. And there's such a phrase of lifelong learning. He wants us to be lifelong learners, lifelong seekers and discoverers. Let's not be complacent about the things of God we can know God more and more and grow and grow and grow and grow. And whether you're a teenager like Mary or you're an old man like Abraham, we can grow and continue to have more of God in our lives to be a blessing to others. Jesus said this. This is what he said. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. And the emphasis of the original language is to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Are you and I doing that? Continuing to search out more things about God that we may have him more in our lives and our understanding and relationship with him grow. God loves a searching, inquisitive, hungry heart. Now there's a difference between an inquiring heart and a questioning heart. Now, what I, let me explain this. It's really good to ask questions, Mary did. But the position of our heart that fuels these questions are important. Often we can have a questioning heart from cynicism or a motive of suspicion. You can have two forms of journalism. You could have a journalist who will ask you a question about, now tell me what happened, and they're wanting to get the facts down to report an interesting story. Or you could have a journalist that will ask you a question, and they're trying to catch you out or get an angle. Like the scribes and the Pharisees, when the, some people came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, are you the one we're expecting? Are you the Messiah? And he said, I am he who's talking to you, and they received his messiahship, and they received all of his blessing. When he was on trial, they said, tell us plainly, are you the son of God? And he said, and basically he says, yes, I am, and you shall see the son of man returning on the clouds of power and glory. And they tore their clothes and crucified him. 
One was a question that was trying to reject, and one was a question that was seeking truth humbly. God loves the latter, the questions and the inquiring that is seeking truth humbly with a person's inquiring heart that longs to know the truth and discover. Mary had this heart. Not a questioning heart that failed to inquire, but she had an inquiring heart that asked the question. Why don't you and I cultivate that? Because it attracts God's interest. And that is one of the reasons I believe that she was highly favored. Okay, the other thing we read from this passage of scripture is that she had a faithful heart. A faithful heart. A heart full of faith. She trusted despite not understanding. She said, how will this be? I'm a virgin. Now, we see, I'm not going to get into too much detail over this, but we see another story later on with Elizabeth and John says Elizabeth, is an old, Elizabeth was an old man and she was barren, an old lady and she was barren, and an angel said, she's going to have a baby. And John said, Zachariah, sorry, Zachariah said, how can this be? My wife is old and barren. And because he didn't believe, he was made dumb for the season of her pregnancy. You see, Mary wasn't saying, how can this be? I'm a virgin. She was saying, okay. Well, how's this going to work then? Whereas Zacharias was saying, well, this can't happen. This isn't true. You're taking the mickey here, Gabriel, (laughs) to the angel. And an angel turns up and you don't believe it. (laughs) So, So it's revealed his heart. So when Mary says, how can this happen? She is trusting despite not understanding The science doesn't add up, Gabriel. So how's it going to happen? She's not saying it can't happen, but she wants to know. The angel answered this, and it goes into great detail, real detail. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of the highest, almighty God, is going to overshadow you. So the Holy One born in you is going to be the Son of God. Oh my goodness, this is getting really, this is cranking up a bit. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. Really? Wow. And so he's confirming it. And she, who was unable to conceive, is now in her sixth month. For no word of the Lord will fail. She didn't understand how things were going to happen. But she chose faith in God and the power of his word, despite a lack of understanding. No word of the Lord will fail. I want to encourage you to have such a heart. There may be many things you read in the scriptures about the things that God can do and wants to do and will do for you and through you. But our minds might be jarred and jammed. But I want to encourage you to have a trusting heart even despite we might not understand everything, because as the scripture says, as my ways are higher than your ways, as my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, so is my word higher than you and greater. 
and it will achieve everything that I have sent it to perform. He speaks to us in two primary ways. His written word, that's the scriptures. And the scriptures is full of promises. Wonderful promises and blessings for you and I and wisdom so that we can live a, a, a rich life in terms of the quality of our life and the well-being of our life, and the blessing of our life. And often these promises and wisdom come with conditions. And as we comply to the conditions, as we comply, God does what he's promised. Let me give you a few examples. Don't give any worry about what you're going to eat, drink, wear. Everybody runs after these things and is overcome by anxieties. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that you're worried about will be given to you. There's a promise that God will provide as we put his kingdom first. We can do that. What about if you need guidance and you've got a difficult decision or you're concerned how your future is going to plan out and you don't want to take the wrong path? It says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean to your own wisdom or understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your understanding and he will direct your pathway. Proverbs 3, as you don't rely on having to figure it out all the time, but trust in God, he will speak to you or organize the circumstances of your life that you begin to walk on the pathway that is right for you. How about this? This is a good one. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, sometimes there's a desire that has been put in your heart and God wants to give it to you. I remember when I first met Sarah and I didn't know whether I should marry her or not, although I'd fallen so in love with her, it was agony. But I thought, well, shall I marry her? And I was just, we were just about to go into a meeting and I remember opening up my Bible uh, before I went into this communion meeting, and I said, Lord, you've got to speak to me about this girl because you've got to put me out of this misery. Either it's right for me to marry or not, but I can't bear this pain, <laughs> this love. It was doing my head in. And I opened up my Bible, and it landed on the psalm. And do you know the psalm read this? First, it's, it just stood out to me. First thing I landed on, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I thought, ooh, that's hopeful. I can do that. And then I thought, oh, I hope this is of God. So then I went into the communion meeting, and the person who was taking the communion, the breaking of the bread, did something unusual on that occasion. He said, as you pass the bread around to somebody and the wine, give them a promise from the Bible. And so I'm standing next, next to this fella, and as he turned round to me, not knowing anything I just prayed, like, a minute ago, he turned around and as he gave me the bread and wine, he says, delight yourself with the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Yes! <laughs> so God, it's a promise from the Bible. So sometimes God will give you the desires of your heart and confirm it, that's right. But sometimes as you delight yourself with the Lord, he changes the desires of your heart. He puts desires in your heart for you to walk in. But the trick and the key is to delight yourself in the Lord. These wonderful promises. I mean, I've just given three, but there's, the Bible's full of them. And as we mingle his word with obedience and faith, we come into his promise. But it's so important to do what Mary did. She didn't just receive the word, but she mingled it 
with faith and obedience. Now, there's a lesson in the scriptures that Hebrews 4 points out about the Israelites who had this amazing promise from God that he was going to give them a land. And when the first generation of Israel were about to cross over the Jordan River to enter the land, they didn't go in and they weren't allowed to go in because they didn't mingle God's promise that he would give them the land with faith. They saw the giants, they saw the big cities, they saw, oh, we're just like country bumpkins and we can't go in and take this big city and so their fear gripped their heart and they didn't mingle faith and obedience so they stayed on the other side of the Jordan. They never got in there. God had to raise up a new generation to do it. And it says in the scriptures, even though they had this great promise, this desire from God for a new land, it says, the word which they heard, that's the promise, did not profit them because they did not mix it with faith. That's not what Mary did. She had all the reasons in the world to reject this. All the reasons in that she could have rationalized this so simply away. How can this be? But she didn't. She trusted the word of the Lord and mingled it with faith. And a miracle that has changed the world was conceived in that girl. She became the mother of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Savior of the world, and destiny was changed. The other way that God speaks to us is by his Spirit, where he might whisper by his Spirit something to us personally, and we need to test it to make sure it's of the Lord, learn how to listen and recognize the voice of God. And when we obey that word, miracles happen. Mary said to the angel, May your word in me be fulfilled. The most powerful prayer you can pray is to pray a word from God for you. And that prayer has great power to be answered. Finally, as we conclude, so she was faithful, she had an inquiring heart, and finally, she was available. She was abandoned. Mary made herself available and abandoned to God no matter what. Her response after all this was this. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. Whose servant are you? Whose servant am I? As Bob Dylan sang in his song in the 60s, everybody's got to serve somebody. Who are we serving? Who are we available for? Who has first call on our lives? Seriously now. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. The secret of God doing amazing things in you, for you, and through you one of the sequence is your abandonment and availability to him, whatever. When Moses was in the desert and he saw the burning bush and he went over to have a look at it, he said, Moses, take your sandals off because this is holy ground. Now, the word holy in the original language means to be separated to God for holy use, set apart 
set apart. I am yours. Your will be done. Whatever. That's what holy means. It's not about getting everything right and never getting anything wrong. That's not what holiness needs. Holiness is to be separated. So he says, take your sandals off, Moses, for this is holy ground. And he separated himself to God. And in that moment, he had a call to set the people free. Samson, you've all heard about Samson, the great deliverer. Well, he was a right rascal, wasn't he, when you read his story? He didn't get everything right, and he did a lot of stuff that was very dubious. But he says he shall be a Nazareth from birth, separated to God, and that's why he mustn't grow his hair. And the hair was a sign of his separation. And when he basically had his hair cut and he lost his strength, it was because he was renouncing his covenant to be separated from God. It wasn't in him getting it all right. It was in him being wholly separated. And as long as he kept that vow, as long as he was available... The power of God used him greatly. The disciples, oh, Peter falls on his knees before Jesus and he says, Jesus, depart from me for I am a sinful man. And what did Jesus say? Follow me. There you go. Separate yourself. And it says that straight away he abandoned his nets and followed him. And in that moment, a sinful man became a holy man. And he was used mightily for God because he was like Mary. I am your servant. Let it be unto me according to your word. What about you and me? Are we abandoned? Were you abandoned once, but now as the years go by, complacency sets in and um, abandonment and availability is not once it was, not what it was. Well, I would encourage you, if you're young or if you're older, Abandon yourself every day. Make it a habit. Every day, abandon your day to God. Mary was a teenager when she became abandoned. Abraham was 70 years plus when he became abandoned. Let's live an abandoned life. Mary... In her abandonment, and this is why it's a heart attitude, not a performance attitude. It's about heart, not performance. It's about heart not getting it all right all the time. Mary was willing to embrace the privilege, the price, and the pain of this abandonment. The price, the shame. She was going to become pregnant and she wasn't married yet. She was innocent, but everybody who looked upon her would consider her guilty. You know anybody else like that? I think Jesus was like that. He was innocent, but everybody thought he was guilty. And she had to endure the pain of a lost reputation. The risk of her livelihood. She could have become destitute. She was betrothed to be married to Joseph. And Joseph was and she, and she, And she would have been destitute and sent to a life of poverty and the consequences of her trying to survive not even worth thinking about. But she risked that. Gosh, 
No wonder God highly favored her. Because God didn't look at the outer things. He looked at the heart. Financial ruin and physical threat and insecurity just through this abandonment was at her doorstep. And the pain. Because she knew through a prophecy that she would see her son suffer and die because she would have known that he would have been a suffering Messiah. And she watched her son crucified. And a sword went through her heart that day. But what a reunion. What a reunion when Jesus was risen and resurrected. What a thrill when she was up in the upper room with all the other disciples and the Holy Spirit came with power sent from Jesus as a gift from her son. And what a joy when Mary herself died and went to heaven. And who do you think the first person she saw was? Jesus. Her Lord, her Savior, her king, her God, her boy, her Jesus. Oh. No wonder it says in scriptures there will be weeping in the evening and joy in the morning. It talks about beauty for ashes. Out of the ashes of destruction, despair, God clothes us with joy. We see in this short passage of scripture an introduction, a window into the Advent, the Christmas story. And we see that Mary's heart drew the attention and the favor of God, not because of her worldly status, great achievements, gifts or skills, intellect or brilliance, but the attitude of her heart and spirit that she chose and we can choose. We can all choose this. Can I encourage you to cultivate an inquiring heart, a faith-filled heart, an abandoned heart? Can I encourage you to choose faith in his word despite of the challenges, the circumstances, and you may not even understand it? So that you, and can I encourage you to choose to be available to God no matter? And as you and I do this, the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow us and you. And something will be birthed and born and conceived in you from God. That not only will be a blessing to your whole life, but could transform the world of those around you. And fill your life with rich and great things. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for... Mary, and that the pages of the scriptures have framed her story that we can gaze upon it and see its wonder and marvel. But I want to thank you that you chose a flesh and blood person like us. And as Mary had allowed her heart to be cultivated, to have this 
beautiful disposition. May by the help of your spirit, our hearts be cultivated like this as well. May we, may we never stop inquiring of you. May our hearts be full of faith to trust you. And may our lives be laid down in love and abandoned to you. For your will to be done. For your kingdom to come. Through us on earth as it is in heaven.